today we're going to look at how to read the Bible. Uh, and I'm going to go to a passage and we'll, and, we'll, and we'll see what that can teach us this morning. Um, I, I like to introduce myself in different ways. Uh, so this morning, uh, my name's still David, that's absolutely true. And you'll recognize the accent perhaps as being from Glasgow. Well, as we're talking about the Bible and I'm from Glasgow, I felt like I needed to read you a little bit from a Glasgow Bible. Um, this has absolutely no bearing whatsoever on the rest of the talk. Um, it's just an excuse to, you know, put on my accent a bit and read a bit of comedy to you. So if you'll bear with me for a second and follow this story of the Good Samaritan, or as we'd say in Glasgow, the Good Samaritan. So one day an expert lawyer tried to trick Jesus. He said to him, Mester, I'm keen to have this everlasting life that God has promised. How do I get it? And Jesus said, you have the answer right there, my friend, in your law book. What does it say? And the lawyer replied, you've got to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you've got to love your neighbor as well as you love yourself. No bad, said Jesus. Just do that and you'll please God. But the lawyer wasn't content with that. And he said, aye, but just exactly who is my neighbor? Jesus decided to illustrate his meaning with a wee story. One day, he said, a man was traveling along a dangerous road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Suddenly, some ruffians laid into him, whipped all his gear and clothes, and left the poor soul half dead. <laughs> now, a Jewish priest happened to be going down the same road. He sees the man lying there, turns his head, and gives him a nifty body swerve. In this, people, everyone talks like this in Glasgow. In the same way, a Levite comes on the scene, offers no help, and just leaves the poor old punter lying there. Finally, a Samaritan comes along the road. He sees the man. He's touched with pity. He goes over to him, kneels down, cleans his wounds. Then he puts him in his own donkey and fixes him up at the nearest inn. He looks after him during the night. In the morning, squares up the innkeeper, promising to look back in on him as he passes through. Jesus turns to the lawyer and says, Knew then which one of these was a neighbor to the wounded traveler. Oh, dead easy, said the lawyer, the man that was kind to him. And Jesus answered, right then, Jimmy, just you go and do the same. As I say, no bearing whatsoever on it. But it's nice to see the Bible translated into people's local talk. And <laughs> for somebody who comes from Glasgow, it, it brings a smile uh, and it helps to connect people a little bit with what's going on in the Word. So, how to read the Bible. It's a small topic, which we'll cover in the next 20 minutes, to your complete satisfaction, I'm sure. The passage we're looking at, Jesus is parrying with two groups of people, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, those old chestnuts up again, having an argument with him. But, I don't want you, as we read the passage, to think about what Jesus is saying, because the content, at least for now, is not relevant. What I want you to consider is what Jesus is doing, how he's fending them off with his arguments. And as we do this, I want us to bear in mind something that Jesus is really always doing. So he's living out the life that God is calling him to. 
But simultaneously, he's also modeling to the disciples there and to us, how do we do these things? And very much we need to have in mind his words in John 14, where he says somewhat outrageously, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And then, as if that wasn't enough, said, they will do even greater things than these. So as we read this, we're not reading of Jesus unbelievably, you know, playing the God card and doing something that's impossible. We're reading of Jesus modeling something that is possible by the power of the Spirit for us to do. And he goes on from John 14 into 15 and 16 to outline the work of the Spirit. So let's read it with all of that in mind. So we're in Matthew 22 and starting at verse 29. The Sadducees, to give the context here, have brought some questions to Jesus and Jesus replied, verse 29, you are in error because you do not know the Scripture or the power of God. Nice blunt start from Jesus. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? Quote, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, quote, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, quote, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, quote, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what are we seeing Jesus do here? Well, this, this really, the, the one thing we see him doing directly is using the Scripture, using the Bible to understand the situation he's in and apply it to the situation he's in. He's using the Bible to answer the questions. How is he able to do that? So let's go back one step from that. How is he able to do that? Because he's remembered the scriptures. In the middle of this debate, he hasn't whipped out his phone and done a quick search to find what the Bible might possibly say in this circumstance. Although that's not a bad tip for us. But Jesus in this moment, of course, is remembering the scriptures. And then what did he have to do before that? Very simply, 
he had to read him because you can't remember something you haven't read. So what we see in Jesus is a pattern here for us to follow too, which is to read the Bible, to remember the Bible, and then to use it always to interpret what's going on around us, maybe in conversation or experience. And there, folks, is a simple one, two, three, and how to read the Bible. Read it, remember it, and then use it, and use it regularly. So let's turn um, to the first of those. So most Bibles in the world uh, live like this. This is their life. Often they don't move much from that position and dust gathers on the top of them. If you've taken a massive spiritual leap forward, then your Bible lives like this. Beside your bed, and you are holy, and dust gathers on that surface of it. The most profound action one can ever take, of course, in the world, I would suggest, is to open the thing, because then you can read the bits that are inside. The most profound action we're ever going to take, may I suggest, is this. And that's the first thing to do if you want to read the Bible. If perchance your Bible happens to open at Romans 15 verse 4, as mine perchance did, and then you read this. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance stored in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Now, one of the first things I would say about reading the Bible is just commend to us how good it is to make it an everyday experience before we say anything else. And I mean every day in two senses. One is the literal sense of every day, although let's not beat ourselves up if on a particular day we didn't. But perhaps in a deeper sense, I mean getting us to the place where reading the Bible is an everyday experience in the sense that it's an ordinary, normal experience. It becomes so part of our lives that it starts to have great impact. And before we say anything else, I think that's a really important thing um, to commend to you, is making the Bible an everyday experience. The Christians um, in Beria, in Acts 17, were commended because they received the message so eagerly, but they straight away went to the Scriptures, and every day were looking at it to make sure, have a look at it in verse 11, 17 verse 11, that Paul was telling the truth. So they were checking him out as he was speaking to them. They received the message willingly, but they were reading the Scriptures every day to understand. And when you go home after this, you should get your Bible out and make sure I wasn't talking rubbish. That's a really important principle to hold to. So in terms of reading the Bible, we could spend a lot of time talking about techniques, apps, reading plans, whatever you want to do. There's loads out there. Pick one of them, go for it, is what I would say because the most important thing you're ever going to do is that. So having done that and started to read, you've taken a massive step forward. We all have. But let me, as a broad brushstroke, suggest three 
ways that one might read it, all of which are really helpful. One is to read it devotionally. So have a bit of the Bible that you have a look at and just let it speak to you. Asking the simple questions, what is God saying here in general? What is he saying to me? And then ask yourself, so what am I going to do about it? So opening a little bit of the Bible and letting it speak to you. That's a really important thing to do. And that's where we get that sense of endurance and encouragement that gives us hope that was described in Romans 15. I'd also commend to you that at times it's good to study the Bible. Now, some of us here will be thrilled by that thought. You know, that's the teacher in us. We love that. We're wrestling with a passage or wrestling with a theme, and we really love that. For many in the room, that just sounds hard work and quite difficult. But one of the ways I'd suggest for all of us that it's useful is when you've got something that feels challenging in your life. So for me, many years ago, um, I was badly hurt by somebody and the issue of forgiveness seemed to come to the surface. And so I had to wrestle with that in the Bible. I brought in teachers who, you know, from a book or something that could help me as well. But we're ultimately, we're wrestling with the Bible to say, what does the Bible say about forgiveness? And so how can it help me? In that sense, I was studying it born out of need, yes. So there'll be different ways in which we study it, but I would commend it as something that would be part of all of our lives at times. The third thing I'll say is, read it all at some point. It's really good to read all of the Bible at some point. It's quite a hard task. I think, you know, possibly even slightly harder reading all of Lord of the Rings. Um, which I don't recommend. Just watch the films, they're great. <laughs> Normally I would say the opposite. The rule in our house is you have to read the book before you watch the film, that's the normal rule. Um, but in this case, as a tangent, just watch the films. Read all of the Bible at some point. And again, there's different ways to do that, um, but it's worth um, picking something that appeals to you. I really like the idea of doing it chronologically, but it's not everyone's cup of tea. And then I, what I got was when you get to the bit of history that involves that prophet, you then read what they said. When you get to David, you read which Psalms he wrote at that time. I quite enjoyed that. When you get to the Gospels, it's like having a free lunch pass because four stories are all exactly the same. So you, you went quicker through it. Now, I didn't do too well with this. I think I've said this before from this position. I, I, I set out to do it in a year. About halfway through the year, I found myself 75 days behind. That's quite a lot. <laughs> Um, and then I had this brainwave that I could catch up by reading two a day. And then a bit of me thought, you didn't really manage to read one a day. That's how you got into this position. So reading two a day seems a bit too much. Actually, the flaw I think I'd made was I was trying to study the Bible instead of just reading through it. And that's a, something I would say. When you're reading all the Bible, read it like a novel. Just, you know, take it to a field, sit in the long grass leisurely in the sun. Just read it as a narrative. Enjoy the, enjoy the story of that if you're reading through it. Three ways to read the Bible. Open it up. Let it speak to you devotionally. At times, study it because you're wrestling with something or because you're like, a, you know, you're a teacher at heart. You just love to do that. That's great. But also, at some point, read it all. So, Jesus read the Bible. Then he remembered it. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the one 
whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. And there's lots of passages we could pick for this, but just let's give another perspective. Philippians 4, verse 8. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And I think more than anything, that would be applied to the Bible. Like, let the Bible wash through our thinking. In today's world, in my experience, I imagine you the same, it feels very cluttered. There's a lot of voices. There's a, 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 there's a lot out there that's kind of demanding our senses and our, our, our energies and our attention. And I, you know, I do feel like my mind has just like gone into some kind of whirl and it feels cluttered and it feels messy. And I need something to wash through that with a consistent truth. I love the Scottish speaker, Kenny Borthwick, who once said, there's nothing wrong with brainwashing when your brain needs a wash. And I'm not suggesting that the Bible is brainwashing, but our brains do need a wash. We need to be washed of the clutter of the world with something that is a consistent truth to us. I was really struck yesterday. My, my daughter was laughing at, at, frankly, nothing, I think. That's what it felt like. She was just laughing. And I, and I thought, she, she's able to do something I'm not. I mean, it's, a, it's it, often badly referenced research on this, but I think as an observation, we can see children know how to laugh. They just know how to laugh. And then we grow up and forget but they do with lots of things. They know how to play very well. They know they're very creative, and then we grow up. One of the disciplines we do with children is to, is to, to memorize the Bible. We say to them, let's do a memory verse. Let's remember it. And then we grow up and stop doing that through some kind of misplaced wisdom that thought that was just for kids. I'd love to laugh more. And I'd love to remember the Bible more because I think it would help me enormously. One of the things we did as kids was, um, I remember we went to a club, a uh, midweek club. It was great fun. They had games and stories and quizzes and there, were, there was a tuck shop and stuff. It was excellent. They obviously spent ages on the name because it was called Bible Club. That was literally all it was called. <laughs> it was incredibly successful. 90% of the people there were not Christians not from Christian families, in this crazy neighborhood in Glasgow, drawing in goodness knows who from what background. And they were there, and they were taking part in this. And one of the things they did there was memory verses. And I remember, I think maybe I was eight or nine, we did this, I, my parents ran it, so I had to go. Um, my, um, but it was good, it was great. Um, and we did, um, we learned Psalm 23 over six weeks. So we learned the first verse, then the same. If you know Psalm 23, the verses get longer, so it got harder as it went on. And then there was like a prize for remembering the whole thing. And you think, we, we just don't do that kind of thing now. But for me, I learned Psalm 23 when I was about eight. I cannot even begin to tell you the amount of times. If you're going to learn six verses of the Bible really well, it's a pretty good six. And the amount of times in my life where you've just gone, there it is. It's a, it's a memory's grasp to say D23. 
this is now for me at this moment. When it feels like um, what's, what's pursuing you is just tough and difficult and hard, then hearing surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life is a lovely thing to have at hand. When you're walking through something that feels like a dark place, so any street in Glasgow, and, and maybe figuratively some seasons of our life, we remember as I walk through death's dark veil, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and staff, they comfort me. And I can remember um, Psalm 23 now from start to finish. I'm not going to try and say it because this would be the one moment in life as you stand here where things fall out of your brain. You can't even remember your own name sometimes when you stand on the stage with a microphone. So I'm not going to put it to the test. Just trust me that it's worked for me again and again. Folks, we need to get back to this kind of thing. And it's what um, I, some of my pupils at school, I, I talk to them about sophisticated selfishness. You know, there's a kind of sense of, like, I'm being clever about taking all I can. So turn up to the class, get everything you can from the teacher and leave. It's a sophisticated selfishness. In memorizing the Bible, I'm appealing to this kind of sophisticated selfishness in us. It feels like it's, a, it's, like it's hard work, it's a discipline, and it is. But let's not beat around the bush, it is. But it's a very clever form of selfishness, because if we do that, if we hold on to some really key truthful promises from the Bible, then when we face the difficult moment, they're there. They're at memory's reach and we can draw them in um, to our experience. Jesus read the Bible, and that helped. He remembered it, and that helped. And then he used it to speak into the situation. So, what we see Jesus doing here again and again is, is bringing the Bible as, if you like, the defining voice to the situation. He uses it to speak to and perfectly shape the debate, and I think we can extend that into our experience as well in that moment. That's why he says to us in Matthew 4, anyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on something very solid, a rock. Hearing and putting into practice. God's word can be, should be, and dare I say will be, the lamp to our feet described in Psalm 119, 105. If we're willing to let it, let me explain a little. I think often when I approach things that are going on in my life, my first reaction is to draw on my own experience from different things. Maybe I draw in the voice of others into that or something I read on the BBC or whatever else. And that's how I approach it. 
And I'm just not sure that's very wise. Sometimes I have the sense to pick up the Bible. And so with the Bible in one hand and my experience in the other hand, I'm wrestling with the situation. And that's definitely a step forward. But if I speak honestly, sometimes my reading of the Bible then gets shaped by my experience rather than the other way around. So I have the Bible in one hand, but in the other hand, I have my own experience saying, well, yeah, but I haven't seen that. And then it starts to feed back into how I read the Bible. What I want to commend to us today is that we need to grasp the Bible in both hands. We need to hold on to it as, as the source of wisdom and truth and bring it to bear on our experience, whatever it is. Now, that's not an easy thing, and sometimes it's quite a struggle, but I think it's right, and I think it's the way to life. Dare I say, unless we let the Bible speak to our experience, I wonder whether we will really experience the Bible and all it's worth and all the promises that are there for us. Thought to ponder. Let me take you to um, an example from my own life. So we just we read Philippians 4 earlier. I'm going to just go a little bit earlier to some very famous um, verses. It says, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So I'm at this point holding this verse and going, that sounds good. I want that in my experience because my experience of right now, Lord, is very anxious. And I've come to you with prayer and petition. I've explained what's gone on. I've asked for your help. I've asked you to do something for me. And I know that I'm reading in there, I'm not reading in there that necessarily my circumstance is going to change. I'm not necessarily reading in there that it's all going to work out hunky-dory and everything's going to be fine. I haven't read that into it. But I am reading, you say, the peace of God will guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So I've gone into the day. And my experience of praying that was sometimes I read that and I prayed those things and my experience was peace. And sometimes I read that and prayed that, and I did not feel the peace. So what do you do with that then? Because I found it very easy to go, I haven't understood, so it starts to feed back. I haven't experienced the peace. Maybe there's some sophisticated workaround in this verse, which means it means something else. And yet, it's a pretty stark verse that just says it as it is. So what do I do? Well, sometimes, and certainly at times, I was tempted to write off the verse because it just didn't seem true. So my experience influenced the scripture. But that's not the way to read the Bible. I really believe it isn't the way to read the Bible. I believe in those circumstances, as I did with this, that I have to keep wrestling with this, with God, to say, you said this. And in fact, in this circumstance, I remember at least once being very shirty with God and saying, 
you know, I did the, I did the bit where I, like, I am anxious. I brought the prayer and petition to you. I did the thanksgiving, and you said you would give me peace. So where's the peace? And that was my conversation with God. Now, was that appropriate? I don't know. Maybe there's a lightning bolt being sharpened up right now. My, my feeling was that God was pleased with what was essentially a faithful engagement with him. Because you decided to say, I really believe this is true. That's why I'm having the argument with you. But where's the peace? I want the peace you promised. May I commend to you folks that we could talk about this forever. There's a lot to say, and I realize I'm sweeping over it to some extent. But may I commend to you the idea that when you've read the Scripture and it doesn't match your experience, that you go back to God and you wag your finger at Him and say, come on, what's going on here? I either need deeper insight or you need to deliver on the promise you've said. And I think actually that's a very faithful response to God. And it is a response that said, I am, I will, I am determined to let the Bible speak to my experience again and again and again. We've spoken briefly this morning about something that's really quite profound. We've been given this Word of God. We've been given the words of God Himself. And what do we going to do with that. We've been exploring how to read the Bible, and we're seeing Jesus read it, sort of open it and read it, let the dust come off the book. We've seen him be disciplined in remembering it. Let us remember our childhood traditions, exercise some sophisticated selfishness, and read for memory. And then let us use it and be determined to faithfully use it to speak to our experience again and again, holding on to it with both hands. This is not easy, folks. I wouldn't want to pretend that, but it is fairly straightforward. The Holy Spirit can and will help us to do this, to do as Jesus did, to do even greater things, John 14 tells us. I said we weren't going to look at content, but I'm going to briefly use one verse from what was said. The very first one, Jesus said to the Sadducees, you are in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. Well, may we read the Scriptures. May we remember them. May we use them as Jesus did. And may we therefore be right, unlike the Sadducees, because we do know the Scriptures and we do know the power of God in our lives. Amen.